is Sam. This is Steven. And welcome to Crimology. This is episode four. Four, as most four. people say it. <laughs> um, we have, we've reached a hundred plays. A hundred of you guys have listened to well, our hard. podcast. Yeah. I mean, in all, in total, it, that's episode one through three. A hundred of you people have listened to maybe all three of them, or maybe just Hopefully. one of them, but Keep it up. Good job. Just put it on repeat and just, just right. let it play. Bring in the plays. It makes us feel good. <laughs> but like always, we've got social medias you can follow. We've got an email that you can send uh, cases to. So that's just some housekeeping things before we jump right into our episode. This week, I've got a lot more notes than I ever have with a case. So we're just going to jump right in and we're going to get it started. Um, something I feel like I should do with this episode specifically, it's got, it's one of those cases that has a lot of detail, um, of what happened in the case specific to these wounds that these people have from this case. So I've worked it out to where I will let you know before I start talking about in detail about the wounds. So if that's something that you don't want to listen to, I'll give you guys a warning, but this is a warning before we get started that we will be talking about gunshots and a lot of wounds that come from that. So if that's something you don't want to hear, then this is an episode for you. So just a warning before we get started. All right. So today's episode happened on April 11th, 1986 in Miami, Florida. Um, in this case, we have a total of about 10 people who are involved in a big shootout, but we're really only going to focus on about two, uh, the only two suspects who are Russell Maddox and Michael Platt, and then two FBI special agents who are Jerry Dove and Benjamin Grogan. Those are the four people who lost their lives in this big shootout. Um, so we're just going to primarily focus on those four and their wounds. This is a pretty big case and pr pretty popular case in the FBI, FBI world. And we'll talk about the issues that came about because of this case and what the FBI had to look at because of this case. But Stephen actually found this case and with it being so popular in the FBI world, we wanted to focus on this case and do this case in particular. Yeah. And, and this was, this was kind of the first one that, you know, we're, we're not necessarily focused on murders, but there is in this one, however, but this is the first, uh, robbery one that we right. get to do. So I'm I'm pretty pumped up about this. Stephen loves robbery. That's right. <laughs> so heist man over here. This is a case where the FBI they look at the type of guns that their special agents use and what their guns and their police department uses, and then safety tactics that the FBI use. So this case really had them look at kind of every aspect of the FBI world. So um, that's also why we wanted to focus on this one in particular. So we're going to start talking about the two suspects and going into a little bit of their background. Platt and Maddox both met while serving in the army at Fort Campbell in Kentucky. So Maddox, he served in the Marine Corps as a cook for about four years, but then he was honorably discharged. Then he enlisted into the army in 1973, where then he served in the military police, where he was then discharged in 1976. Platt, on the other hand, enlisted in 1972, so a year bef uh, before Maddox, 
when he was in basic training, he applied for the Army Airborne Ranger Training, where he entered paratrooper school. And then he was also assigned to the military police. So that's where Platt and Maddox both met. And he was discharged in 1979, so a few years after Maddox. So something these men also have in common is that both of their wives passed away under violent circumstances. So here I'm putting a little bit of warning here too, because it is violent circumstances. So we're going to talk about it. So a little bit of warning. So you might fast forward. Hit your your skip 30 seconds button. Right. So Maddox's wife, Patricia, and a co-worker of hers were stabbed to death in 1983. They were found in a hospital laboratory in Ohio where they both worked. They were both found bound, gagged, and with their throats slashed. So Maddox, of course, was the suspect in the murder, but he was never charged. He it's Something also strange, he pushed all of the blame onto Platt. He was saying, when he was questioned, he was saying that Platt was having an affair with his wife. But then right after everything kind of relaxed and went back to normal, Maddox moved to Florida to live and work with Platt. They worked out as a landscaping and tree removal service. So I was just like, why do you throw all the blame on this person and then basically move in with them? Yeah, that's kind of seems like, oh, hey, yeah, you were having an affair with my Yeah, but let's move to Florida together and start and a business. And start our business. Yeah. That... So it was just a weird detail that I found that I felt like I should mention. Platt's wife, um, his first wife, it ended in divorce. His second wife, however, Regina, was found dead from a single gunshot wound in the mouth. So her death was ruled a a suicide. Um, She was found dead in December 1984. But then, just a month later, Platt married his third wife. So I don't think anything ever came of this. I don't think ever... I think everybody just... I mean, her, it was ruled as a suicide. So I think after this, nobody really looked into details. But just the fact that it, then he marries somebody a month later, everybody was just like, that's kind of yeah, sketchy. It, it always seems, you know, we, we've there's been some cases that we've talked about that, you know, something happens to their, their previous, right. you know, wife or husband or something. And then a month or two later, um, they get remarried and it's like... <laughs> like something's right either you can move on really quickly or something has happened and you don't want people focusing on that anymore so just two weird things that happened just in their lives that i felt like i should mention um but now we're going to talk about some crimes that happened leading up into our big shootout um so i want to mention that these this first crime these guys commit together as a pair is on October 5th, 1985. The big shootout we're going to talk about happened in April, 1986. So we're covering about seven months of crimes that these two committed. So they also didn't have a criminal record before these cases. And at the end of everything, when Platt's wife is kind of questioned about this, she had no idea anything was going on. So they worked really fast in a very short amount of time 
Um, of course, it doesn't end well with them, but that was just a crazy detail. Yeah, that's pretty crazy that it's they went from, and we'll, we'll talk about more of what they happened, but from starting out to basically nothing right. to what's going to happen in seven months is just, it's insane. You're starting just, from nothing to then being the most popular case in the FBI. Like, hello. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's that's absolutely just crazy. And and that was also one of the things that kind of drew my attention to this right. was they went from you know meeting up in military mm-hmm. to one yeah, one accusing his wife <laughs> right. of having an affair after she after she died to starting m- moving down to Florida together and starting a business. And then seven months later, and then starting a real business, and then starting the quote-unquote business, <laughs> right? Of having one of the you know most most known cases right. in the FBI. So it's wild, it's wild. So now we're gonna actually start talk about the seven months prior to the shootout and kind of what happens in this time. So on October fifth, nineteen eighty-five, Platt and Maddox murdered um, Emilio. While he was target shooting, after killing him, they stole his car and they used it to commit several robberies. We will keep that in mind. We'll see a trend as that as the story continues. Five days after this, they attempt to rob a Wells Fargo armed truck, but it didn't go the way they wanted to, of course. One of them shot a guard in the leg while the other filed, fired shovel, several sorry, several shots from the getaway car. What they didn't expect was that two other guards in the area returned fire, but the pair was not injured during this robbery, so they kind of got out free. No money was taken, but the guard who was shot in the leg did pass away from his wound um, and losing a lot of blood. So just one week on the job, and they already have killed two people. So November 8th, 1985, The pair robbed a professional savings bank in Miami, taking $41,469. So as their kind of second try at this gig, that's not, I mean, I'm not going to say that's not bad, but that's a lot of money. And that's also, and not speaking from experience here, obviously, (laughs) but I kind of think it'd be almost a little bit easier to at least kind of, you know, when you see an armored car, like taking the money in, you to me, it almost seems like actually robbing a bank might be easier, right? Especially back then, because uh, like we're t- like we've talked about before, the technology back then is yeah just dinosaurs compared to what it is now. Yeah. So I think that's also part of it of like yeah, you could probably get a pretty good haul at a bank compared to right a truck, a, you know, an armored truck, right? Yeah. So I mean, after that amount of money, they're pretty much set for a couple of months, and so. Their next crime doesn't happen until January 10th, 1986. This time they robbed a Brinks armed car where when the car was trying to unload at a Barnett bank in Miami. So they shot the guard who was opening the back of the truck. They walked up to him and shot him again. And then this time they take $54,000. So now they're up to a good hunk of cash that they've taken and now three murders. So March 12th, 1986, they robbed and shot Mr. Jose while he was target shooting and then they stole his car. So 
One of the first lessons I think we can learn from this story is to be very careful when you're out target shooting, apparently, because I guess that's where people like to kill people off and take their cars and commit <laughs> robberies. I That was something I was just like, okay, they obviously have a trend here. So they kept their same routine like they did with their first murder, and they take Jose's car and they use it to commit other crimes. And it's actually the same car that they would end up dying in at the shootout that they do. So Jose, actually, he wasn't killed in this shooting. He actually survived. And he actually ended up walking three miles to get help. Um, So, I mean, walking three miles for me right now is hard. I couldn't (laughs) imagine how much harder that would be walking with gunshot wounds and and not only just the wounds, but the mental fear of you looking over your shoulder every time you hear a car coming back, thinking they're coming to get you. So that alone, I'm props to this man because I don't know if I'd be able to do it. So one week after this, the pair comes back to the Barnett bank to rob the truck again, unloading this time only taking $8,338. And at this time, they're still in Jose's car. So now we're going to focus on the details of the shootout. So don't worry, I'm not going into details about wounds just yet. But this is just what has happened on the day of the shootout. So we've talked about everything that's happened in the last seven months. Now let's talk about the actual day of the shootout. 8.45 a.m. on Friday, April 11th, 1986, a team of FBI agents, they meet in a Home Depot parking lot to initiate a stakeout looking for Jose's car. So they didn't know for sure if the pair was going to make a move on this day in particular, but the pair had a habit of when they landed a deal, I will, I'll say that when they get some money from one of these banks that they that they robbed right then they wait a couple of months before they do their next so that's all they have to work with is that it's been a couple of weeks maybe today they'll try and do it yeah because looking back at it the first time you know they they robbed the that professional say that bank the first bank in miami right it was november the 8th Mm -hmm. and then the next time they when they robbed the the brinks car it was january 10th so that's about two months apart right and then um yeah march 12th and then you've got march 12th when they robbed jose and then a week after that so they put that around the 19th so basically essentially another two months after that so i mean so basically so a hundred percent that's what right fbi's obviously figured out like okay they've at least it's at least every couple weeks or so it's not bang 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 bang, you know right after another which well makes sense (laughs) So a total of 14 agents and 11 different cars were involved in the stakeout. So obviously they're located in different areas trying to just identify the car. Around 9.30 a.m., Grogan and Dove, who are the two FBI agents who lost their lives at the end of this day and were the ones that are going to focus on in this case, they're the ones that spotted the vehicle and then they began to follow them. Two other stakeout cars joined in the race. Then they tried to conduct a traffic stop, but the pair was not going to let them. So several collisions happened within all 
these cars and and they ended up sending Jose's car nose first into a tree into a small parking lot. I have a visual look of what this kind of looked like so we will post it on our social media so you can guys can go look at it and get a kind of better visual picture of what's happening. Um but there's a parked car already in the parking lot. Jose's car goes into a tree right next to that parked car. So the car that they were driving, their passenger side is against the parked car. And then the agent's car are all on the driver's side. Just So just to kind of give you a visual. The collisions caused some problems before the shootout even begins. So not only do you have to deal with the cars that are damaged and you're getting thrown around in the cars, but two agents lost their guns before their cars were even stopped. One agent, he puts his gun on his passenger seat when he sees the other cars, and then he ends up hitting Jose's car, and when he hits that car, he then loses his gun um, so now he's gunless in this whole shootout and he ends up being one of the only people who doesn't shoot in this whole thing. Um, another thing is Grogan lost his glasses before the shootout began. So his vision could have been off, um, with Grogan being someone who lost his life. And when people questioned if his vision was super bad, there was a lot of his friends and a lot of his family who said that his vision wasn't so horrible. Um, but I can only imagine, you know, that that would affect your vision a little bit. So, but he is credited for landing the first hit on Maddox, even without his glasses. So he's doing something. Dove is who is the other FBI agent. He he is credited for having the kill shot that killed Platt. Um, and again, we'll talk about the wounds later on. I'll, I'll give you guys a heads up. So 10 people were involved in the actual shootout and approximately 145 shots were fired and having only one person who didn't fire a shot and only one person was not injured in this fight and it lasted under five minutes. So those that, two details are wild. That's the crazy thing to me. I mean, that's... I mean, I couldn't even imagine what it what it would have sounded like being in that neighborhood. Right. Like, especially if, if, I mean, even if you were just, like, two or three houses down. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like... 140 shots, boom, 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 boom. That's wild. And, and I think most of those, I, I can't remember if we, if we talked about this, but I think most of them were not, I mean, most of them weren't, um, you know, automatic rifles or right. anything. It was mainly, you know handguns or mm -hmm. shotguns or something like mm -hmm. that so yeah i mean if, if you think about that that's even that's even crazier right because yeah. I, mean, I mean you know most of the time if you've got a a, a small you know automatic rifle or something like right. that you know you can fire you can you can get through a lot of shots yeah. pretty quickly but i mean if you're i mean if it's just pistols and shotguns and stuff like that that's just so many I right mean, it's like like fourth of july probably <laughs> yeah yeah. Okay, so now is when I'm going to drop that warning. I've tried to talk as much as I can about the case before going into details about the shots that were fired. Um, 
And since there are 140 shots, we're not going to go into detail about every single shot that was ever taken. Um, and because there are so many shots, that's why I we're only focusing on the two suspects and the two FBI agents who lost their lives. Um, we post all of the links that we get our information from on our Facebook page. And so those articles that we found give details about literally every single shot that was fired this day. So if you want to know those details, we'll link those on our social medias so that you guys can look at that. So Dove and Grogan were in the same car during the stakeout. And they're the car that actually pinned the driver's side door of Jose's car against the car that was already parked in the parking lot. So they got out of their car and they're kneeling against their driver's side of their car door. Platt was the one who was driving the getaway car. So now he's kind of pinned and locked in the car. So he crawls out of his car and he comes face to face with Dove and Grogan, obviously. He ends up shooting Grogan in the chest and killing him. And then he shot Dove in the head twice, killing him. So while Platt is doing all of this and trying to get away, it's said that Maddox was shot in the head and the neck and that these shots knocked him unconscious. So he only fired just a couple of rounds before he had this injury and obviously with him unconscious, he didn't fire any other rounds after he came back too. So after killing the FBA, FBI agents, Platt tries to use Grogan and Dove's car to get away. And at some point, Maddox comes back too, and he climbed into the passenger seat of the car. And so while they're both getting into the car, that's when police officers showed up to the scene. When they arrived, they shot both men, injuring them both in the spine and ultimately ending the shootout and, and being the cause of death for the pair. So we're going to talk about details about how these men passed. So Maddox was shot in many different places. He shot in the right forearm, in the head the neck he shot twice in the face one bullet penetrating his jawbone and the other right next to his eye socket and then traveling down into his neck where then it entered the spinal column and severed the spinal cord so that's how he passed away platt was shot in the right thigh shot in both feet but his left foot twice his right forearm, one shot to his arm that exited his armpit and entered his torso, stopping below his shoulder blade. He was shot in the chest, shot in his upper arm that went on to penetrate his chest, causing his lung to collapse and fill with about 1.3 liters of blood. And that ended up being the cause of his death. So a taxology test was performed and the question was, were these men on drugs? Was there something that was, <laughs> I mean, 140 shots in five minutes. We just talked about all the sh injuries they had. So a big question was, did they have something that was enhancing their ability to go superhuman and be able to take all of this without dying? Um, but they were drug free at the time of the shooting. 
and they didn't have any chemicals in their bodies that would push them to sustain these injuries. Um, so now we've talked at the beginning of this case and how this case is pretty popular in the FBI world. Well, investigation actually placed some blame on the FBI for this shootout because like you mentioned earlier, the agents had revolvers in their cars, which were more difficult to reload under fire. So this caused the FBI to look into getting the agents semi-automatic pistols in their cars for if something like this were to ever happen again. Um, so another issue that the agents had was that they didn't have any protective equipment that they needed in their cars available. So only two agents had vests on, but these vests that they had weren't made for the semi-automatic weapons that the suspects had. So it really didn't do the agents much good anyways. Um, so this is also something that the FBI looked into, um, was getting the agents better materials in their cars and preparing them for something that could happen like this again. Yeah, that's kind of a... a very i think that's probably the most crucial thing and why this is this case is so famous in the right. fbi uh, because i mean you go from i mean these guys just had revolvers which yeah. if you've ever shot a gun if you ever shot a revolver before and you cycle out you've got to load each one of those bullets in there yeah instead of just having you know um you know just like a pistol boom, boom, now boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You've, you've got the clip and you can shoot fire whatever and then and based on those on uh Maddox and, and Platt having yeah semi-automatic weapons. They're I mean, able that's, to do more. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm sure that's where a lot more of those those shots came from. Yeah, but I mean, but even still, that's that's still a lot of. Regardless, that's right. that's still a lot of ammunition flying around. Right, and that's that's crazy to me that they were sh that Maddox and Platt were shot that many times, right. but yet they kept on going, and they didn't have anything in their system. Right. Yeah. So I mean, the fact that you have ten people who are involved in this shootout, and only two of these people have protection of any sort. Um, I mean, you just think of the FBI and you think of them having, I don't know, bukus of stuff in their car. And so at this case, that wasn't the case. And so this is, that's why this case is so popular. And so that's episode four and that's what we have. And so it was, it was interesting to read about the most popular case in the FBI. And I mean, just the details of this case were wild and what these men have done in seven months is <laughs> crazy. They got over $100,000, so they were living the good life. Um, so, yeah, it was a pretty good case. So, now what we can do is we're going to take a break for our ad sponsor, and we will be right back. All right. And now we're going to do our Florida Man segment. This is a segment where we Google a random date along with the words Florida man. And we just kind of laugh at the case that comes up. So now it's in Stephen's hands. So this week, it's not only Florida man, it's Florida men <laughs> this week. Um, so this comes to us um, from Fox News from March 21st of 2018. 
and the headline reads as this. Actually, let, uh, you know, Sam, I always ask you a question. <laughs> Sam, do you own a onesie? I do. Okay, so you you could be involved in this crime, oh, no. possibly. So uh, the headline goes as followed: Florida men, one dressed in a bull onesie, attempt to burn down house with ragu sauce. Police say, "Huh? Yes, the ragu sauce. Yes, you know that you put with spaghetti." Um, so you know, so uh, so it goes on to say, two Florida men were caught with their hands in the pasta jar after they used ragu sauce to try and burn down a home that they robbed last week. Interesting. Uh, Derek Irving, 36, and John Silva, 28, were arrested March 13th after allegedly breaking into a home in Deland and stealing a flat screen TV and an air conditioning wall unit. Wow. Um, the man whose home was burglarized received an alert on his phone from his resident security system informing of uh, motion being detected in the in the house. Not only that, the uh, the county sheriff office said um, a towel was placed over the camera. Uh, so yeah, that's you know that kind of gave him a clue. At that least they tried that something was not right. right. Um, so whenever the police arrived, uh, they saw a red SUV trying to flee the residents, authorities said. Uh, the two suspects told the officers that they were uh, picking up clothes from the house. Uh, the, the victim told uh, a local TV station there uh, that it was Irving that was donning the bull onesie. Huh. Um, so a, a de- it goes on later to say it. A deputy saw that there was an, there was an air conditioning unit a vacuum, a television, a heater, a marijuana grinder, and an empty jar of ragu sauce inside the vehicle. Um, deputies found the burning pot of sauce and a washcloth near the stove's burner, which they appeared that's what they were trying to start the fire with. Right. Um, so it's, um, but yeah, so the, uh, the, the victim goes on to say, uh, t- t- talking to the lo- local TV station, uh, he was trying to make it look like I left the stove on, but number one, who gets up at 2 a.m. and fixes hit? Now, this is his words here, and I like to say it this way, but he said, and gets up and fixes skeddy. <laughs> right. Not spaghetti, skeddy. So, I did just Google, can you use ragu sauce to set a fire? That I mean, I just, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to. I don't think I'll ever, I don't think I'll ever rob a house in my <laughs> lifetime. But I was just interested to see if maybe they knew something I didn't. But no, you can't use ragu sauce to set a fire if you're wondering. <laughs> so so Silva and Irving, they were both charged with unarmed burglary, grand theft, and arson. Wow. So that's my, not Florida man, but Florida men. Florida men in onesies. Story of the week. Wow, that was a good one. Ah, oh, this is my favorite segment. I love everything about these. This is this is why we put this at the end. This they is make how me we feel better about myself that I'm not as crazy as some people out there in life. You're pretty crazy. I mean, yes, but I'm not ragu sauce on fire crazy with the bull onesie, right? So, well, that's episode four. So like always, we are so thankful for you guys for listening to us. 
and we have a blast every single week looking at these crazy crimes, obviously, and these Florida man minutes, um, and just coming across these cases and learning different things like we learned about this case with the FBI. So like I say in every podcast, make sure to check out our social medias. Um, we post, I'll, like I said, I'll post a visual of the crime scene and how the shootout was set up. We'll set the, we'll post things like that on all social medias and we'll post links and source materials to our Facebook page. Um, so you can go and read more about this case. And I really want to encourage y'all to join us next week. We teased it a little bit on our social medias on not only our crimeology social medias, but on our personal social medias. <laughs> um, it's a case that we are all super excited for. Um, we've got our first guest on the podcast and just the case we're covering is one that we've been working on together before the podcast was even a thing. And so coming up with our own theories and now we made it into an episode. And so if you're here for Lorsa, that's what it is. You're on the wrong week, but we're glad you're here and we'd let that you listen to this one, but come back <laughs> next week. Um, so like always, you can email us suggestions Follow us on social medias, rate us on uh, specifically five stars on any social, uh, on any platform that you're listening to. And also, if you have nice things to say other than five stars, we might even have a little segment at the end of where right. we can read your five star reviews. <laughs> you know, right. But just thank you guys so much for listening. 100 of you have listened to different episodes. So keep it up. We're super excited. Um, and this is episode four. So like always, I'm Sam. This is Steven. And I'm, this is Crimeology. Crimeology.